The word of the Lord, as given by his spirit to the psalmist. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. Uh, It's in the Bible in the box next to you in the chairs if you want to follow it. Page 628. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Acts chapter 27, verses 1 to 26 and can be found on page 1,124 of your um, church Bible. That's um, Acts 27, verses 1 to 26. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adratrium, and were about to sail the ports along the coast for the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed on the uh, the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we landed on Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salome. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous, and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot, and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. 
When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they waited anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of the small island called Caldia, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have saved yourself and spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God whom I am and who I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with me. So, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, many thanks for those two readings, especially that last one, which was a bit longer than we might normally have. But it ties in to the theme of what we're looking at this morning. For I begin, let me say a few more words on the theme for the entire term, which is looking at the Christian faith infecting, affecting the entirety of our weeks 24-7. Often in our Christian walk, we have a series of boxes that we put things in. There might be a box for family. That could be a bit of a crazy box, especially around about Christmas. There can be another box for friends and other relationships. There can be a box for work and what we do there. And then somewhere there may be a box for God and our relationship with him. And it might be, to our pride, a really big box But actually, that's not the right conception of the Christian faith. The right conception of the Christian faith is actually that all those different boxes find their home and their presence and their being in that larger box, in God himself, who holds all things together. He's to be thoroughly through all those things, present and sought and walked with. And that's what we're looking at this term. The famous Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper put it like this. No single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed from the rest. 
there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, this belongs to me. And that's the idea. Christ wants to say, this all belongs to me. I want to be present in all of it. And that's what we're looking at in these next few weeks. Today, we're looking at the theme of commuting and travelling. Perhaps for many of us, one of the very first major activities we do in our average day, getting up out of the house and hitting the roads or hitting the trains and asking, well, in those pressured times, what does it look like to be a Christian? Before we dig into that, let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you really are Lord of all, that you are concerned about all of our lives and that there is potential, great potential, for all of our life to be lived with you. Please teach us these things in the coming weeks and especially this morning. Amen. Well, a few statistics on commuting before we begin. In the United Kingdom, about 75% of those in work commute to their workplace. Approximately 75% of them by car and 20% by train, or less so this week if you're on strike action. The average length of a commute is 45 minutes, which is the longest in Europe, double the shortest, which are the Italians, who have the shortest at 23 minutes, oh, to be in Italy. Uh, In total, the average worker in the UK spends six years of their working life commuting, which is a very long time. It's not a pleasant six years, filled with stress and tiredness and frustrations, And studies show that actually commuting can lead to, over a lifetime, a loss of two years on your life expectancy. Oh dear. My own experience before I was ordained of being a school teacher was that I commuted for one and a half hours every day. And uh, I know there are people here who do even longer. And it was my experience just by the end of the week, every week, just feeling completely and utterly drained by it. I was thinking, oh, why am I doing this? What is going on? And the question is, oh, in those times, whether we actually are commuting or whether we're travelling to places and whether we're spending that time in between times, what can be done? How can our Christian faith affect those times? Even if you don't commute on a regular basis, often you'll find yourselves in waiting times, in situations where you're doing things where you'd rather not be there. You're waiting on people, or you're driving to pick up children, or you're waiting on other people to make up their minds. And those dead times, those in-between limbo times, well, what can be done about them? They fill a lot of our weeks, in fact. Well, I want to offer two very simple thoughts as to what that could look like under the umbrella of Christ and his presence with us. And the first is this, that God is on 24-7 readiness. God is on 24-7 readiness. In the British Army, at least one battalion of the SAS is on 24-7 readiness wherever they are in the country, ready to be deployed at a moment's notice to any environment, urban, or jungle, or Arctic, and ready day and night, morning, afternoon, evening. Always prepared, always ready, just in case. And I want to say that our God is always ready, always prepared, in a similar way, in any place, at any time, 
for us. And his readiness is to meet with us, to be with us, to increase and commune in our relationship with him. In the Old Testament reading we had earlier, Psalm 139, David exclaims and explains with praise the wonders of an omnipresent God who is just everywhere. He says this, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. See, King David knew some rough and tough times in his life. He probably wrote this, we think, in his 20s, where he was on the run from King Saul, persecuted falsely, never able to stay in one place more than a few weeks or months, always on the run, in fear for his life and the life of those who followed him. Sometimes he would find refuge that kept him safe. Sometimes it was all very temporary, and he was often journeying in between times and his whole life at that point was in between times he'd been anointed king of israel by the prophet samuel and yet it seemed very far away he had actually become that king he was in limbo and for him the lesson that he learned which is a lesson we can learn is that even in those times of limbo of journeying and traveling between destinations god is there and god can meet with you and give you strength and encourage you for what is ahead. You see, what enabled David to go through such times was knowing that wherever he went, God was with him. If he'd been hounded up a mountain because of the forces of King Saul, well, God was right there to be prayed to and praised. If he'd been forced into a deep ravine with no way out, well, God was already there to be met with and to give strength. If he had to make a breakthrough in the break of dawn early in the morning well God had gone before him and was there before he'd even woken up if he'd come home after a long march from a distant location well God was there to be met with and to restore God's presence always there always ready to meet with him strengthened him guided him and made him able to walk through such times and I want to say in commuting and traveling We often find ourselves in a similar in-between times. We've left the comfort of family and home and a nice breakfast or rushed breakfast or no breakfast. And we're about to enter into the crazy place of the workplace or wherever we're heading. And it's an in-between time. And the same lesson is true for us. Well, that time isn't wasted time. It doesn't have to be. It can be a time where God is present. God can be met with. He's there right beside you in your car as you drive to work. He's already there. He's there as you dodge traffic on your bike. He's there as you feel virtuous walking to work. He's right there with you. You're never going to win a game of hide-and-seek with God because he's everywhere. He really is. Meister Eckhart, the German theologian mystic, pull it like this. A man may go into the field and say his prayer and be aware of God, or he may be in church and be aware of God, But if he is more aware of him because he is in a quiet place, that is his own deficiency and not due to God, who is alike present in all things and all places and willing to give himself everywhere. He who knows God rightly knows him everywhere. He's just wherever you go, he's right there. On a very practical level, 
that means that as you're traveling, God's there to be enjoyed and to be met with. My own testimony is when I was a school teacher, this was a vital time for me in the end of meeting with God. I, I remember one year having the most awful year of teaching, having an awful year 10 class, whose each and every name I can still remember them because they were that bad. And whatever I did, nothing seemed to win them over. Nothing seemed to work. I used to pray in the classroom. I used to walk around it seven times, hoping the walls would fall. I did everything possible. And nothing was shifting. I just, I remember in my commute on the way up, whenever I used to teach him, which was once uh, every couple of days, just crying out to God, God, you've got to give me strength. I need daily bread. I need you in this situation. And you know what? As I learned to do that, well, God strengthened me. I was able to walk through that time. Looking back, it was just being aware of God being there with me in that card, strengthening me on the way in and healing me on the way back, actually. He's just there. He's with me. And maybe some of you, this week, as you step into the car or as you're heading out on the train or wherever you're going, in tough situations, you know there's something ahead that you need God's strength for. I encourage you, use that time to meet with him, to be with him, let him strengthen you, and if it needs to be, heal you on the way back. Let him do those things. This is that William Wilberforce, who's a name that uh, many of you will have heard of, was a very well-known uh, Christian reformer in the Victorian age. And he was instrumental in the abolishment of the slave trade in Britain, which we had for a number of centuries here in this country. And his testimony was that actually he learnt the same lesson for the same means. As an MP in Parliament, he came against great odds opposing him in the abolishment of slavery. And so he chose to do something. Rather than, as with most MPs, live very close to Parliament and just have a simple carriage ride to Parliament every single day, he chose on purpose to live further away from Parliament, over a mile away, and to walk to Parliament every single day. And he records in his biography that during that walk, he memorised and recited and prayed Psalm 119 every single morning. He did it on the way in and on the way back as well. He points back to that time saying, it was that time, using that time to strengthen myself in God's word, that enabled me to stand against such opposition. It enabled me just to fight against the odd and by the end of his life finally see things change. He used that time wisely to meet with God. And, and I encourage you to use those times wisely. They're not wasted times. Let me give you three really simple practical examples of things that you can do in such times. The first one is sing. Now, <laughs> I am an awful singer, so I'm so thankful for my car where no one else can hear me. So no one's going to threaten me to shut up. I can sing to my heart's delight, and no one will be any of the wise. Well, they may look in and think I'm looking slightly strange. It's a great time, actually, to sing praise to God, just sticking on that worship CD or singing out those songs that are familiar to you. Where only it's just you and the Lord, just for his delight and meeting with him. Secondly, listen. There's some great things to listen to on our journeying. There are sermons that can be found online and downloaded if you are technically minded, or there are audio Bibles. I've recently just been trying to listen to an audio Bible more 
on my journey, just letting the words of Scripture wash over me in that time. It's just such a wonderful privilege. The, work, the hard work is actually taken out of it, and you're just listening to Scriptures the way they were originally read, actually. And lastly, just to rest and be renewed in that time. It might just be a place where you can enter into the presence of God, asking God to make you aware of his presence very clearly, that he's right there on the passenger seat, because he really is, because he's everywhere. Practicing the presence of God as it's been called, just knowing that he's there, knowing that he can be trusted, knowing that he can be talked to. Use those times, use them wisely, because he's always there. Well, that was the first thing that I want to say. God is on 24-7 readiness in those times to meet with us. Use those times wisely. And secondly, in those times, be reminded of the bigger journey that you're on. Reaper Cheap is the name of the warrior mouse who accompanies the children in the voyage of the drawn treader. Hands up if you've read it or seen it. It's a favourite of mine. And... Uh, as he's journeying with the children, at one point in the book, he explains and expresses a desire to be part of a much bigger journey that he's on than the journey that they're on. And he says this, While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose pointing towards the sunrise. Despite being on an amazing adventure, he knew he was part of a much bigger journey that he wanted to be on towards Aslan's country, to that place where desires are fulfilled, where longings are met. And I hope you don't mind me digging into this idea of commuting a bit deeper and saying, well, actually, it's a great image for what our lives look like that we can be reminded of, that actually our lives are one long, one-way commute. We've left one place. We've left the kingdom of earth. We've been called into the kingdom of God and ultimately we will be there in fullness. And yes, right now, we're in, in an in-between times, in a limbo time sometimes, where we're not where we should be, but we're not where we've left either. We're on that place, that journey from earth to Aslan's country, that kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has fully conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. That actually what's set ahead is going to be amazing. We just can't imagine it. <laughs> Try and write it down. You won't be able to. They tried to. John tried to in Revelation. He just couldn't quite express just the wonders of what's ahead. It will literally be heaven. That's where we're aiming for. That's where we're going. Some of us Maybe going there in a comfortable life, the equivalent of a Rolls Royce, and things go well, and it's a simple journey. Other of us, others of us, perhaps not so nice a journey. A beaten up old Ford Fiesta amongst dodgy traffic, getting stuck in the way. But the end destination is the same. That's where we're going. That's the hope that is set before us. And I want to end with two questions based on that for all of us. And the first one is this. 
are you on the right journey? Are you on the right journey? In 2008, the Turkish lorry driver, Nikdek Bakimki, left his base in Ankara, Turkey, and headed for the Rock of Gibraltar to offload some cargo. He inputted Gibraltar into his GPS and drove on, but instead of getting to the Rock of Gibraltar on the tip of Spain, it took him to Gibraltar in Lincolnshire, a small seaside town, 1,600 miles off course. He was on the wrong journey, sadly. And we need to make sure that in our life commute, our journey, we're on the right journey. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, spoke of two possible paths you could find yourself on. Only two. One is the wide, one that starts with the wide gate and is an easy path that many are on. But its end, he says, quoting him, is destruction. But the other is the narrow gate, he himself, the gate of the sheep. And not an easy path. And the people found on it are few. But where it ends up is, is eternity, is amazing, is the place of rejoicing. And everyone is on one of those two paths. And the question for all of us is, which one are you on? Which journey are you on? Are you sure you're on the right journey? The Bible puts it really bluntly. We're either on that highway to heaven or the road to hell. It's that blunt, actually. And have you made sure that you're on the right journey? If you have, that is wonderful. If you haven't here today, well, perhaps it's a day to start making sure that you're on the right road. Perhaps talk to someone who is on that right road. Perhaps find out more to find that ultimate destination that God promises to each and every one of us. And secondly, a question for all of us. Do you still know where you're going? My morning commute during the winter months, the fog would descend and it would be very easy to get disorientated just like this morning, actually, in South Sea. And in life, the morning fog can descend and it can become very disorientating through a number of reasons. The pressures, the exigencies, the trials and the temptations and the troubles of life just pressing in, the events that suddenly come out of blue that you're not expecting, the long-term issues that you're wrestling with that won't go away. All these things can cause the fog to descend and to disorientate and lead you astray. And the need is, the, the fight that we need to fight is, is to keep going to the right direction. To keep our eyes on that place where each and every one of us is called to. C.S. Lewis put it like this. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Let me end with a personal story. It's rather embarrassing, and please don't laugh too loud. Um, when I gave this earlier in the morning, they laughed really loud. Please don't. I'm a sensitive soul. I mentioned that uh, every morning I used to uh, commute into work, and I was actually, by the end of it, really, really good at driving. Uh, but I have to admit that when I first learned to drive, I wasn't so. It took me a number of attempts to pass my driving test. I won't tell you how many, but it was more than three. And um, 
When I first began to drive, things were especially bad, and I had a dear old driving instructor who was, to be honest, petrified most of the time. <laughs> because what I used to do is I used to happily drive forward, but then as I was driving, I used to repeatedly veer into the oncoming traffic. And, of course, <laughs> this caused a bit of upset, and he was trying to work out what was going on. And so one lesson, he just chose to look at me the whole time just to see what I was doing as I was driving. And he twigged out straight away what was going on, and he gave me this piece of advice. Keep your eyes ahead of you, because where you're looking at is where you'll end up going. You see, I was looking at the oncoming traffic and veering towards it as a result. But he just said, no, keep your eyes right in front of you, because where you're looking at is where you'll end up going. That solved the problem, you'd be glad to know. I don't have that issue anymore. And I just want to say that actually that is true for each and every one of us. That in the long journey, it's a long stretch for some of us, to that final destination, we keep our eyes on the place we're going to, because where our eyes are at is where we'll end up going. Don't get distracted by other things. Be like those horses on parade with blinkers around their eyes, just with a single focus to that wonderful place that we're travelling towards, where Jesus is, where we will be with him forever. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are always present, that you long to meet with us wherever we are. We pray that we might become increasingly aware of that in our lives, especially as we travel, especially as we seek you in those hidden places. And we pray, Lord, that you'd keep in us that desire for the ultimate destination. Lead us away from those distractions that cause us to veer off course and keep our eyes fixed on the hope ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as the band come up uh, to sing our next song, perhaps something major has happened in your life over Christmas. Uh, maybe you've been through a difficult, a dark time. Maybe you feel like that 